Welcome to this episode of Flint CXO Bytes. Really glad you could join us. Flint's the Future Leaders Program for the Tech Users Association of New Zealand, or TUANS, and I'm Craig Young, the CEO. This is a show where we talk informally with a well-known influential leader about their leadership journey and ask some questions about leading in these disruptive and transformative times. I really hope you enjoy today's episode, so let's get on with it. Welcome to our latest uh, CXO Bytes. Uh, if you're joining us today live, you um, obviously you'll be seeing myself and Jolie as we talk. You also know you can be watching it on our YouTube channel later, and uh, we've made the audio podcast now. So if you're listening to this, you won't be seeing us at all, but never mind. Um, it's great to be here for our next session, um, and it's great to be able to talk to Jolie, um, who heads up Spark here in New Zealand. I've, it's been interesting, Jolie. I've just joined a for my, I was going to say for my sins, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I worked, I worked for Telecom for a week, I think. All um, right. <laughs> just before, just before Chorus started, and um, just joined a Facebook group on ex Telecom employees, and it's man, it's uh, somewhere along the line, most of us end up working for Telecom somewhere. So look, um, thanks very much, everybody, for joining us. We're going to be talking today to Jo Lee Hudson. She's the chief executive and executive director for Spark, and. Um, Prior to her appointment, she was the CFO and worked as the CEO of the Digital and Customer Director. She worked for Lion um, in, Australia, in Australia, I see, for um, 12 years, yep. um, providing them with decent beer, and uh, eight years with Deloitte. And she's a passionate, this is a bit I like, she's a passionate supporter of women succeeding in business. And certainly through our Flint program, we're very keen to encourage young women in that. So um, welcome, Jolie. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, great to be with you and to um, share some of the stories. Yeah, and I see you. It looks like you're back in the office. So, um, you know, we're at yes. level one. So so usually we've been asking people what their setup is at home, but you're not at home. So do you want to start with what did it, what did the lockdown actually mean for you personally and how what sort of things did you learn out of that? Oh, absolutely. So um, lockdown for us, obviously, were essential services. So we had a lot of our business working. But for anyone who didn't need to be on a premise, they were working from home. So we had four and a half thousand people doing that um, every day. And I was obviously one of those as well. So it was an incredibly busy time through that, particularly that first part when all of New Zealand really shifted almost overnight to working and learning and connecting from home. Uh, what was great was the networks held up really well. But if I sort of stand back now and I think about that sort of seven to eight weeks of, of being at home and, and my reflections on that, while it was incredibly, um, uh, as I said, busy and there were some difficult choices to make and obviously the health pandemic was a critical part of that, when you stand back and think about some of the things in terms of the change in behaviours, the things that made me reflect on seven weeks is long enough to actually change your behaviour, to stand back and think about, okay, so... What am I going to do with meetings and things when I come back uh, into the on-premise, as it be, in, in the office? How am I going to think about those? Do I need to get on a plane uh, every week and go to a different city? Or are there some that is going to be really appropriate just to catch up virtually and more efficient for both me and them, but still get the same outcomes? Um, 
how did it, you know, I'm, I'm a mum, I've got two teenagers, so sort of 14 and 16. So interesting times. So we had a whole household working and digitally learning uh, and, you know, a couple of retrievers wandering around the house as well at the same time, quite excited to have so many people home at the same time. But, you know, that made me think about too, how busy life is. Uh, and actually when you push pause for a bit of that time, um, what are some of the choices you think about as you come out of this time and when we get back into, I don't say back into operating as we were because I don't think there's an operating as we were. I think there is a new normal and we're all adapting to that and finding that right way. Certainly know we're thinking about that, you know, individually I'm thinking about that, but I'm also thinking about that as a business. What, what does it look like for us as we go forward and how we want to work and the flexibility we want to have in our own organisation? So I think for me it was a time to really reflect it also shone a light on some things that um, aren't great about where we are right now as a country, and some of, particularly in relation to some of the inequities we see, and, you know, from our industry point of view, the digital inequity, for the two to 300,000 households that don't have access uh, to the internet, that's something I'm very passionate about. We've worked for a number of years around our Spark Foundation and, and a Skinny Jump product um, really to help support those families. But in the Ministry of Education, obviously, worked through this time to try and set families up to be able to learn. But one of the things I'd hope would come out of this time as we stand back and look and think about how do we start to bridge some of that gap? So that broader, we had to deal with what was in front of us at the time. Now is a chance for us to stand back and really consider about what are the things we want to change as we look forward. And that's both personally, some of those things I reflected on about yeah. how do I use my own time? Yeah. How do I think about that flexible working? And also what we want to do as a country, I think, within that. Yeah, that's great. Look, I, as happens with these things, there's something in there I want to follow up with you on. It's just um, talking about reflecting how you work, but also how Spark's going to work. Mm. How important is it, do you think, that you show... Um, your people, not just by saying, but by doing, you know, it's easy for you to say, don't jump on a plane when you're doing it all the time. Yes. Yeah. So no, it's absolutely important to lead by example. So certainly the first um, time as we've started to come back in level one, back into the office and we're seeing more of that. One of the first things I had a chat with my assistant about is, okay, when meetings are getting set up, our first principle is if they're out of the city, we'll look to do them virtually. Uh, and explain why, why I'm thinking about that, because it's efficient for both um, parties and it's not any less commitment to the conversation or to the actions that'll come from it. Uh, and if there's special reasons or then, yeah, look, let's consider it, but let's start there. And if you start with that kind of standard, you sort of set the expectation around and others around you as well as to what we think is, is right. It won't always be the right form, yeah. There are a number of instances where it can be, and I think that's probably a big difference from where we were pre-COVID, I would say, is that it was generally the last form. People did it because there was some physical reason they couldn't move or something like that. We've always had the tools and technology, particularly in the last few years, and uh, so there's no reason digitally why we couldn't do it, and I think it's that, just that behaviour change. Yeah, Seven I agree. weeks I'm... is long enough to do that. Mm. <laughs> We've had video conferencing for a long time, and I think you know, Zoom has become a verb almost um, because yes. people have been able to do it so easily. Hey, look, um, so now we'll go back to the questions that I had for you, but do you want to give us a little bit of a, a, a hist sort of a potted history of just how you've got to where you've got? Um, and particularly, I'm interested in, you, you know, you talk about being a passionate supporter of women succeeding in business. Well, you're one of them. So what were those things you learned on, on the way? Yeah, absolutely. 
So my career has been made up of a number of different experiences. I think you touched on it across different industries. So I started in professional services, um, and then I jumped over to Sydney and worked for Lion for about a dozen years. And within that, I had around six different roles. And one of the things I've always um, believed in is you actually learn by doing. So shifting into different roles, experiencing that gives you the best chance of improving your own skills, uh, learning the behaviours. So, so not only what, the technical capability of what you might need in a role, but most importantly, as you start to move through different uh, roles, the how. So what are the leadership mm -hmm. skills I need? How do I best get that? So there is some skill development, so training and coaching that goes with that. And certainly holding the mirror up and looking and seeing how you're doing. So self-awareness is a big part of it and letting others tell you how they're, how they're feeling. And that doesn't stop when you see, oh, I've got an yeah. exercise like that running at the moment in our own organisation. So I think it's for me, um, my career has been a lot around stepping towards new challenges, testing myself, trying different industries and adding what I'd say is um, different capabilities that gave me the best shot at a role like I have now as I built through my career, not necessarily looking to go, well, I'll only go vertical steps. I've actually gone horizontal quite a few times to build out. And what I mean by that is moving into a role where people might go, well, why, why are you taking that? And for me, it was about either learning the business, learning different commercial skills, building some other capability that I didn't have. So whether it's regional leadership or other elements of that. And really I focused on those things. So when I came, so I left Lion at the end of, um, or middle of 2013 and came to Spark for the CFO role. So new industry, publicly listed, um, stepping into that role at a time that the organisation was going on a massive transformation. It's a huge, huge learning opportunity for me. And, you know, it's fair to say, first year was probably one of the hardest. We also decided to, to uh, renovate a house. So <laughs> added a whole lot of things into that mix. Um, but also one of the most rewarding. And the pace and speed in which our industry moves means the learning has to be really fast within that. Mm. So I had a few years in the CFO role and then I had the opportunity to build, move out again into a broader operational uh, business led role, which is where I went into Spark Digital, which really is a, a business that works on um, supporting our corporate enterprise government customers, both in telecommunications, but largely about shifting towards the more digital cloud-based um, organisation. Then we moved as an organisation to Agile, so I had a chance to build out some different skills again, and I, uh, my role sort of sat across both consumer and business. We brought that together, and so I was in that role for a year, and then, the, uh, you know, it's almost 12 months, coming up to 12 months in the CEO role, so then I shifted in that. So you can see across that, there's a wide range of both uh, commercial skills, finance skills, customer operation IT, um, sales within that, and that gives you a really good understanding when you do come in to make that vertical step up. You've had a lot of experiences. You, and it, what we do is often based on people. It's about the relationships we have, uh, who, who to speak to within an organisation is critical within that. So that gave me a real opportunity to, to gain quite a good understanding of our business and then be in the best place, put, you know, my best foot forward for the role when it um, came up. I think there's some really important stuff in there, particularly about the moving sideways thing. I think um, yeah. we're doing a, a series of events at the end of the month for our Flint um, people around developing your career post-COVID because we know that life is going to be not the same yeah. and we've got changes occurring in organisations. We've got two of your competitors have over the last month or so announced they're losing staff. So people are going to have to find... Sounds terrible. People will be, will be forced into mm. moving and maybe 
we all need to realize sideways moves are sometimes really important and uh, really useful for our careers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we might come back to that a little bit later, but um, just going back to your leadership journey, I mean, you've been involved with different industries, different places, lots of different people, leading different people. Have you got a, a time where you perhaps have learned from where you did something not quite the way you should yeah. have and, and um, you would do it differently today? Well, there's lots of those, but, <laughs> but there's probably one that sticks in my mind and I often think about whenever I go to make my next move into a different role. And so it's probably when I was working back in um, Lion in Australia and I'd, it was my first step up into a role in the exec team and it was a common opportunity. So a chance to, to lead in a role and to demonstrate you've got what it takes to do that role. And, and so while I achieved a lot through it, a lot of my behaviours around making sure I wanted to control the environment, wasn't empowering people as much, I was watching for what could go wrong and really on edge so you don't get the best of yourself um, and I was lucky enough, and others don't get the best of you too, because they're not given that same chance to step up mm. and grow in the role, because that's always the beauty of a succumbent is you move, someone else moves behind you and so forth. Um, but we had a, LSI is a, is a tool that looks at your leadership skills and behaviours. So right at the end of that succumbent, I had an opportunity to do that. And what it reflected to me was, it was a great snapshot to see, yep, I did achieve some great things. But there were some of these behaviours that had blown out and it was a reflection for me to go, well, why was that? And when you boil it down, a lot of it was around fear of failure, feeling like you're being judged, you're on a comment, what if this goes wrong, that goes wrong. And therefore, I'm not at my best. I'm not empowering others to be at their best. And so it was a really good learning for me that every time I think about moving into a new role or a new opportunity, I just remember that in my mind and think about, okay, so how am I going to set up to make sure that those kind of behaviours don't come to the fore, that I do um, give myself the best shot and the team around me the best shot. So while it was 10, 15 years ago, it still resonates today. Yeah, yep. I think many of us that have been in, in our careers for a while have those moments where we, yeah. we wish we hadn't done them, but we do learn significantly from them. Um, just talking about that, you, you talked about your team there for a moment. So when you're building a team or you're looking for leaders, um, what sort of um, skills and and um, personalities are you looking for in when you build a team? Yeah. So when I look at a team, I, you know, I'd highlighted that thing about people being prepared to move. So that learning agility, because you move around between, it demonstrates that you've got that ability to go into a new context, learn and understand. I'm looking for people that um, understand it is the what and the how. So mm. how they lead is really mm. critical in mm. terms of getting the best. So you can lead yeah. for performance but you need to lead for performance and growth and potential to, to create people um, certainly people who are curious so they're going to want to change what's there they're going to want to keep learning within that um, and they're vulnerable enough to be able to share what they're great at and the things that they're still wanting to improve we're all all of us have got things that we need to be better at in our lives so for me it's around um, finding those leaders and obviously at the end of the day um, we all need to be able, the performance uh, element of any role and the achievement focus is a critical part of delivery for anyone. So, you, you know, there still is a what in, in what we deliver. Mm. So for me, being able to really self-start and think about all of those elements within that. So it's a range of skills that complement uh, a high performer. Yeah. Can we go back to, uh, you talked about when you were seconded, this fear of failure. And I think 
yeah. number of us, when we get to a certain position, sort of that imposter syndrome, um, which you can um, drag out a little bit for. There's this word that's bandied around at the moment called authentic leadership. So how do you match those two things together? You know, imposter, fear of failure with authenticity. And what does that mean for you? I think one of the things I think about when I think about authentic leaders is some characteristics around them. I think they're people who are, you know, committed to improving and bettering themselves. They're comfortable in their form of leadership. There isn't one way of leadership or there's not one, um, you know, you have introverts, you have extroverts, you have, but it's about how do you bring out the best in others and how do you show that vulnerability that you have as well as a leader. I think, so the self-awareness part is important, I think, in an authentic leader, that piece about holding the mirror up to yourself and letting others do that. I also think, um, you know, you don't get anywhere without um, delivery, without being disciplined in what you do. So that's a, an important part. And then it's having a mission. What, what are you, what's the purpose? Why are you there? We think about our organisation, which is to help all of New Zealand when big in the digital world. It's really clear around helping. It creates the whole of New Zealand within that. And it sets context for what we stand for around digital. That's, that's the transition to digital. So for me, I think it's always thinking about what are you trying to do? And an authentic leader won't, that doesn't mean they're the same or there's one way, but those types of characteristics of going, I don't need to be perfect to that fear of failure, but I do have a desire to continue to improve and be the best I can be. And I think that's the important part about an authentic leader. It's about continuing to reflect about, well, I didn't get that right. Owning it sometimes, but not letting it weigh on you. I think that's the difference between the other is you can't get that negative ant off your shoulder, which, you know, the, with the voice that's saying what a shoulda, coulda, um, and letting that weigh you down. Because ultimately you have to be prepared to make decisions, move forward, to own that and have the courage to step towards it, even if it's uncomfortable. And I think that's probably what differentiates an authentic leader as well. They're not looking for consensus. They're not looking for um, the easy answer. They will take the tough road. And that's another you know, part of what I'd see in that. Yeah, I think... Um... I want to draw out a little bit more around, um, you know, you talk about being a passionate supporter for women succeeding in business. Yes. Spark's done well, you know, Spark's done well. You're the second, I think you're the second female CEO. Yes. Um, Teresa yeah, was right. the first, obviously, and we've had Paul and Simon in between. Simon also launched a program about maybe two years ago around diversity and encouraging diversity in Spark. Do you think that's... Um, do you think that's been successful or where, what else do you see that you can do to encourage diversity? I mean, it's a big topic at the moment. Yes. We looked at it last year in our future work conference, not even knowing what was going to occur this year, but yeah. So have you got any thoughts on that? So I think um, all organisations need to be considering diversity across the border lens. So gender is obviously one that has been a lot of discussion around, but there's um, ethnic diversity. There's also the uh, diversity of thoughts. So how are you bringing different perspectives in your organisation? And at the heart of it, I think it is how are you creating a culture that you can have differences there and people feel comfortable about bringing their whole self to work and they can talk about what they stand for both at home and at work. So, so we've been on a journey. We're by no means at at the end of that journey, um, we've made a lot of steps forward, and it starts also with decisive um, leadership action. So, for example, our board has a diverse range of skills, gender balance, uh, our leadership team does as well. And as you drop below that, then you start to think about that sets to your point around setting standards and expectations. 
this isn't about anyone having roles who aren't capable of it. Clearly, to get to that position, you are capable of it, but it's about making sure that you stand for what you say and you make active choice to change and head towards that. Um, and it's part about being transparent. So we went through a period, what led to a lot of our further work on diversity and inclusion was what we called the uncomfortable truths, which looked at us as a business and looked at some of the things that we weren't comfortable with as a culture, some of the behaviours that were showing up, that were potentially leading to not seeing as much diversity as you'd like. So that's been part of a program we worked really hard on with our people and been upfront both uh, internally but also externally uh, around the findings out of that and what we've been doing towards it. So to me, it's a continuation and it's not something that sits to the side. It's got to be embedded in your cultures, the values, the way you think about things, the way you appoint people to roles, how you think about um, a whole range of different of those considerations. And it also reflects in and how you engage the community as well. So I think for me, uh, all businesses should be on this journey if they're not already and it's just what what component and then personally um, I'm involved with an organization called On Being Bold so we've there's um, nine founders within that and we put a lot of time into helping women succeed in business and more broadly in their lives and we talk about that connection the squiggly line so not everything is happens in a linear way and really it's about sharing experiences bringing thought leaders and we do tend to do that through both um, uh, conversational pieces. We have a conference each year, and that's something that we've been doing for the last three years. So I think about giving back both in terms of what I do through my own leadership within our own organisation, what I do through mentoring others mm. in and outside ours, yeah. and then what I do through On Being Bold as well. Cool. Can we? Uh, so we've only got a few more minutes, so I'm just going to drag it back yeah. to sure. to you and um, the the recent lockdown. So, um, you know, we had that time being physically isolated. Although you worked in an essential industry, but many of us were many of your staff were yeah. um, working in an isolated. And I was physically. I was working at home that whole time, largely uh, all of that time. Really, we were in from when we went towards three, four. Yeah, it wasn't until we came out just recently that we've come back. Yes, it's a fascinating time, isn't it? Because we we didn't have the choice to work at home. We actually, yeah, were forced to work at home. What was um one thing you personally learnt about the way you lead? And this is not about logistics, etc., but about the way you lead that came to the fore during that time. I think in terms of in a time like that, the calmness that you bring to a situation, oh, particularly yes. when things are rapidly changing. Um, if you think about our people in our organisation, so while we have 5,300 people, they all have families, they have communities they're involved in. So there's lot varying impacts across that group. So one of the things I think was really important to be communicating very regularly, how were we thinking about things as announcements came out about different levels or changes or really quickly following with what's our perspective on the next four weeks, on the next, how are we going to approach this? So what you're trying to do is just give people a sense of control over what they can control. There are some things that are outside all of our controls in terms of how quickly we would come out and things like that. But if you break it down into those pieces, I think that's important um, to have that. And, and as leaders to hold on to the ambiguity, passing that on doesn't help anyone necessarily. You can create more stress and anxiety for others. So it was really important to balance um, the transparency, the calmness, but also making sure it was uh, delivered in a way that gave people a chance to know, well, it's for the next four weeks, and then we'll be back, and we'll talk again about what's going to happen next and how, how we see that, because otherwise we'd be crystal ball gazing 
And while that might be interesting, I don't know how helpful that would be. That ambiguity is really, really interesting. I met with one of our Flint leaders earlier in the week and she was mentioning, you know, level four was great because she knew exactly what she had to do. Get up, work. Yeah. Um, level three and two starts to get a little bit tricky. And now level one, will people feel comfortable? Have you got any last piece of advice for people who are sort of feeling a little bit nervous about coming back to you, work? Or? I think in any time when you're feeling uncomfortable, and partly it's about articulating how you're feeling. So, so that people know. And sometimes when you actually get to talk about what is it specifically that's concerning you, there may be an answer to that or even voicing it out loud actually helps you to get really clear on what the, what the issue might be. Um, we all need support networks, no matter who you are or yeah. where you're from. So finding those one or two people that are really there for you, I think most organisations would stand back and say too through this time, that they're really open to understanding people's um, concerns or fears about whether that's returning to a workplace. And there are a number of people who still would have vulnerable um, immune, immunation, I can't say this, compromised. <laughs> um, and <laughs> yep. so we need to be mindful of that. And I think it's about having people uh, have the opportunity to come back into work, put the support things around them if there is concerns with that. If they're more broadly, you know, there's, uh, obviously we're in this economic recession at the minute and we will be for a period of time so how do we help people through that as well so partly it's about for me it's about communicating making sure we're watching we're listening and we're sharing and helping people through those changes that doesn't mean there won't be harder changes to come because there always there always is there's nothing more certain that there will be change the question is how do we help people adapt to that and what are the things that um, support them in that thinking yeah yeah. Hey, look, it's been a real pleasure um, and enjoyable time to, to chat with you this morning around and around leadership. And uh, people who are listening, um, we all want to thank you. Next week, um, we're doing our first post-COVID vision interview. We're, we're interviewing the Minister, the Honourable Chris Farfoy, Minister of, he's got quite a few, but communications, broadcasting yes. and digital something or other, digital government. Um, so we're really looking forward to that. But um, those of you that have been on, thank you for listening. We're going to, as I said, this will be on our YouTube channel and will be available as a podcast. So, um, Joel Lee, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Craig. And um, look forward to hearing about the Vision, the Vision Week because I think that's the big thing for all of us now to be leaning into is how do we help shape what New Zealand looks like as we go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Okay, kia ora and thank you. See you later. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for being with us this week. You can keep an eye out for our next episode simply on our website, twoans.org.nz. You can join us live when we record the show, watch the video on the Two Ans YouTube channel, or simply wait for it to come out on this podcast. Thanks again, and we hope you join us next time.